Welcome to the Good Start Podcast. I'm Barney Nelson with another amazing story of how blockchain is being used to change people's lives. Sunshine plus technology and blockchain equals de-urbanization and financial inclusion. That's the equation that Solshare are working to in Bangladesh, a country where $3 million worth of electricity is wasted every day from people generating it in their own homes but not being able to share it. Outside of those very homes, there are people who have to pay massively over the odds to do simple things like charging their mobile phones, and for whom electricity is still a cost and not an income source. By linking together these homes and creating communities or microgrids of electricity, SolShare aims to be able to share that electricity and to turn anyone who wants to into a solar entrepreneur, generating an income, creating financial inclusion, and giving people more reasons to stay in their villages and towns without being one of the 10,000 people that arrives into Dakar every day. It's a pleasure to have Sebastian here from SolShare to be able to explain how and to be able to talk through the journey with him. Sebastian, it's a pleasure to have you on, on the Good Start podcast, and thank you very, very much for making the time today. Thanks a lot for having me. Maybe we can just start off with how you found the world and, and ultimately what is the, the problem that, that SolShare is here to, here to fix? Why SolShare? Yeah, people pay for the same kind of services that uh, better off people enjoy a much higher price and often with a much less, less good value uh, of service. I think that the, the root and basically DNA we have uh, will, will probably, hopefully always stay the same, which was to trying to figure out a way how to elevate people from energy poverty or from an energy poverty penalty, as to put it, um, basically meaning that we saw that there are millions of systems. So systems produce a lot of access power and the value of this access power is enormous. But to, to put some numbers here, as about 600,000 kilowatt hours, which are access power or dump load every day on average. And the value of those is about $5 per kilowatt hour. To, to multiply those two, you would have $3 million, which are lying in the street and nobody picks them up, coupled with staggering numbers of people suffering from energy poverty. Putting these things together, I think is the fundamental premise of, of SolShare. People already throw cables over. If one of them has access to power and the other one not, be it through a solar system, be it through a diesel generator, what you do is you throw a cable over and you look how long someone has its light in the evening on. And the next day you say, hey, from 8 to 10, your lights are on. Please give me 10 cents or 10 taka as the local currencies here. And mm. that's, of course, a very rudimentary way of sharing power, but it's effective, it works. But you can, of course, design this a little bit more in a, in a seamless fashion, and, and that's what SolShare is all about. So how to tap into these $3 million and make it available to those who need it? The solution we came up with is a trading platform where people can exchange electricity seamlessly peer-to-peer. And uh, it turned out to be that uh, this kind of an approach, this kind of energy arbitration exchange is likely to be the future uh, energy utility model. And that not only in Bangladesh, but possibly globally. So we're talking about for the $3 million worth of excess electricity generation on the one hand coming from solar or from diesel. But on the other hand, it, am I right that it's around 17 million households who are off the grid at the moment and who have to pay, as you said, a premium for, for access to electricity more than the people who are on the grid? The World Bank latest data is 40% are off grid. According to the government, 
as of last month, it's, it's uh, that 93% have access to electricity. I think that's rather an estimation on the very much higher end. Where we are operating majorly now is in so-called chaw areas, which are river islands, where it is extremely unlikely that the national grid is, is, is reaching there. And so, so the 40% off-grid is likely to rise significantly above that. If you don't have access to electricity, but you have a phone, which mm. is quite often the case in, in, in many countries and also in Bangladesh, what do you do? So you bring it to a neighbor and that neighbor will charge you depending where you are here in the country, between four to mm-hmm. five taka. Now, if you calculate how much a simple phone, we're not talking smartphone here, how much electricity a full charge is, and you do this over the napkin calculation with the five tucker, you come about to 10 US dollars a kilowatt hours, which is obviously an insane amount of of money Mm. for a Mm. phone charge. Mm. Yeah. So you've got the people who are off-grid having to pay astronomical rates to be able to even charge their phones. And at the same time, you've got $3 million worth of electricity, as you said, being kind of thrown into the street every day. But as you said, so this is worst in the river island areas and the rural areas. And presumably, this is one of the reasons why there is so much urbanization going on as a kind of secondary consequence of life, that essentially people are pushed and forced to move into electrified areas to be able to actually run a more normal or kind of cost-effective life. Yeah, but that's also a trend which, like, like the Dhaka, you know, Dhaka as the capital of Bangladesh has an mm. influx of people of 10,000 every day. The city is already bursting. I mean, you have mm. extreme levels of pollution, like first, second, or third worst in the world. You have an average speed in a car of five, six kilometers per hour. The, the, the city cannot take more people. So, Part of our goal, obviously, also is to make life in the village areas um, from an electricity and internet access perspective mm. at par or even better than life mm. in the cities in order to you know, prevent this mass movement into the cities because the, the city can't hold that uh, much longer. So essentially, by, by providing an energy source to the people in the, in the off-grid areas, you're giving them, first of all, electricity. Second of all, you're reducing their costs. Third of all, you're giving them an income. And fourth, you're, you're giving them a reason not to go to Dhaka. Yeah, we would, we would like to go even further. So the startup sector here in, in, in in Bangladesh is getting stronger and stronger. And one value proposition which I would like to make is, okay, look, if you're in a village, I give you electricity access, I give Mm. you internet access, and Mm. I give you access to doctors in the US, let's say, so that you can have a live chat or phone call over Skype with a doctor in the US to treat you in real time, which you can only get if you are there. If you're in Dhaka, you can't. You can't get this kind of excellent doctor. At the moment yep. you have this kind of access, a whole new world opens up. We're also talking about giving people an income here, not only actually putting money in their pockets, but presumably also starting to bring them into the financial uh, world in terms of giving them access to other financial services in terms of credit and and actually setting them up to be able to run small businesses and, and so on and so forth, just simply off the fact they start with an individual income. That's right. I mean, $3 million or $6 million or whatever that number may be is, of course, only a starting point of energy which is being wasted right now, which mm. can be tapped into 
through this social platform. But it's more than that, because the moment you have a training platform and it makes sense to acquire storage, solar storage or solar generation uh, capacity, not only for your own consumption, but for selling, you have an entrepreneurship incentive. We call it smart solar entrepreneurs. And that means that the platform grows, more money is brought into the village because solar is not only being traded among the villages, but we even have schemes now where electric vehicles like rickshaws, there are 1.5 million of them in Bangladesh, can drive through our villages, get a charge while they are in the village to have their tea or whatever, which means mm, they can yeah. also make money from outside. So it is really a, a model where the local community is being um, is being developed. So step one is just basically just give somebody, as you're saying, a light bulb. Step two is then make them a, a, as you said, an entrepreneur in terms of not only being able to take care of their own individual requirements, but to be able to actually turn it into a proper income source, a business income source. So let's talk through the, ultimately how this works then. I mean, we're talking about putting electricity into people's hands in river islands and so on and so forth. What does that look like in practical terms? So the 5 million systems, 5 million solar home systems, which have been disseminated in Bangladesh, have mm. all a battery and a panel and usually a charge controller and a mm-hmm. couple of appliances. So the salt box is nothing else than your meter. And it's bi-directional, so it can run up and down. What is special about the Solbox is it doesn't show you kilowatt hours. It shows you the local currency, which is Taka. So you may Mm -hmm. start the day with 100 Taka. Over the day, you switch things on um, or you switch them off, buy power or you sell power. You're a prosumer. So you're not a consumer, not a producer. You're some hybrid form of that. And Mm. at the end of the day, you may end up with 80 Taka or you may end up with 120 Taka. That depends on Mm. how energy efficient is your behavior, are your appliances. How much power did you produce? And uh, are you a net producer or a net consumer? You do not know with whom you're trading, which is very important for the peace in the village because there may be a small Hindu community, a Muslim community, or I may simply not like my, my neighbor. We don't want to have any issues of that. There is mm. also, from a revenue perspective for SolShare, there's a bid and an ask spread. So if I sell a kilowatt hour for 50 taka, to you, my meter, if I'm at, at 100 taka, it will go mm. down to 50 taka. And oh, if I sell it, sorry, it goes up 50 taka. And you uh, will have paid probably uh, 60 taka. And uh, so your uh, balance goes down 60 taka and 10 taka automatically goes into our wallet. What yep. is important here is all this is synced to the people's mobile money wallets, which means they right. have this money available in real time. So if I go to the market at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, it's very likely mm. that I'm selling because the sun is peak sun hours. My battery is, is, is likely to be full. And that means I can buy my rice in a local market with my mobile money wallet with mm. the money which my panel just earned. So essentially it, it exists within the, the mobile money ecosystem, if you like. You know, you're, you're an input in terms of electricity, but the, the mobile money is the key facilitator that takes this from a, from a kind of isolated idea into a real-world income source. That's right. And that's, that's the point when you're connected to the mobile money uh, or the mobile wallet. That's where all the access to other, presumably other financial services and financial education also kicks in. Well, you, obviously, you build up a track record. You build up a track record of having paid off the solar home systems in the first place. And secondly, you build a financial footprint in terms of your trading behavior. And mm. this data can help you to um, become more eligible for 
any uh, other kind of financial transaction. So you're right. So you basically, by having a, a payment history, a transaction record based on the sole share relationship, that provides essentially the basis for a credit history, which can then go on to provide the basis for all other services from banking and, and, and other financial services. That's right. I'm Barney Nilsson. I hope you're enjoying this Good Start podcast. If you'd like to get in touch or involved in any way, look us up on thevalueexchange.co slash goodstart or friend us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks and back to the podcast. SolShare is very interesting in, in as much as the fact that you talk about using uh, local currency as the un- underlying currency. You could equally have chosen to use a cryptocurrency, but there are obviously very good reasons why you chose not to run on, on any element of the blockchain, not just crypto. Can we just talk through that for a second? Yeah, let's start with why not crypto. And there's a very simple answer to that because uh, mm. I really love my freedom and uh, seven years imprisonment for crypto in Bangladesh is not a very appealing... Uh, it's a significant obstacle, yeah. It's a significant <laughs> obstacle. So, so crypto is uh, out of the equation, at least for the, for the time being, even though we are mimicking crypto in our first pilot project, which has to do with, with, with blockchain. I mean, everything we're doing on the soul boxes, you could call it a distributed ledger, but... I usually don't say that because then people get all carried away with, oh, yeah, blockchain for good. And that's the best blockchain application out there now. And then everything gets, gets, gets uh, uh, you know, one thing leads to the other. We do not use any of the consensus mechanisms of the blockchain for the simple reason that our SOL boxes today do not have the computational power to do that. So even if I use the lightest nodes, which is out there in the market right now, we mm. cannot do the computation on the individual node. Even on the lightest node, again, the energy consumption goes extremely against all our efforts when it comes to energy efficiency. And who pays for that? I mean, we can't make the people pay for that. So we would need to do that. But we don't have our own generation assets in those villages. It's similar as a sharing economy model. We do not want to have any assets really in the field. Mm. We also don't have a trust issue. We have very good business partners who have a track record for the last 10, 20 years to work with them. So we don't have this trust issue either. So there wasn't really a case or a problem we had to solve uh, for Blockchain. Which I think is fascinating that you've had a very informed look at blockchain technology and its various aspects, as you said, in terms of trust, in terms of the crypto elements and so on and so forth, and still reach the conclusion that despite all the hype, it just doesn't fit. But it raises a lot of attention. And of course, we do use blockchain for something. Mm. <laughs> we were part of an accelerator called Free Electrons, which mm-hmm. is a program uh, consisting of 10 utilities, giant energy utilities from, from all continents who came together and said, okay, we believe that what has happened to the telco industry will also happen to the energy utilities. And when this happens, we have to be prepared. So let's go on a hunt for startups and see what the energy future will look like. So they were making the case to us and saying, look, the value of a watt hour some of us may know what, what's the cost of a kilowatt hour, but it, energy is something which is politically very sensitive. But then again, it's something which we just take as granted and ideally the monthly bill is as low as possible. Um, so they mm. said when we sell energy efficiency measures to, mm. uh, let's say, the automotive industry or the suppliers of the, of the automobile industry, it takes about 18 months to close such a sale because it's so boring. 
So if we could emotionalize that process, I think we could probably save maybe six to nine months of our sales cycle, which saves us an enormous amount of money. And then yet another company came and said, we are selling PV, but we don't have any USP really because, you know, prices come down and panel is a panel. It's not sexy. So if I can say that 1% of all which is being produced, and you can see this live in your phone, in an app, or in, your, in, in a dashboard on your laptop, if that goes automatically into a smart grid in a remote area in Bangladesh, and I can actually see with 1% of my generated power, I can power an entire village in Bangladesh, mm. that's pretty amazing. So we thought about this a little bit and came up with the idea of what we call the solidarity token. So the solidarity token is basically a token where you define a rule, be it energy savings or be it a percentage of energy generation, let's say 1%, which is automatically being transferred uh, onto a soul box of your choice, be it a company or be it the end user in Germany. And that can be that uh, he or she goes to a dashboard and chooses a special purpose. It should be a woman or it should be a a rickshaw, or it should be a computer shop, or it should be a pharmacy, right. or whatever, or it should be for light only, whatever that means. Maybe. And mm. that money is then being transferred with the promise that it is 100% transparent. If we were allowed to use crypto here 100% efficient, which we are not, so it's not 100% efficient, but it's definitely the most efficient way to make a donation than any other forms in the uh, famous development uh, aids we have actually an external body coming to Bangladesh and visit a couple of our grids. And they mm. performed what they call an ESROI assessment, so a social return on investment assessment. And yep. the result, you, 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 know, you do this assessment against a, a, a set of SDGs. In our mm. case, it was SDG 1, 5, and 7, so poverty, mm. gender, and, and energy. And um, mm. they came up with for every dollar invested, you create about $4.85 of, of value uh, in, in a solid grid. So that was a very, very encouraging, yeah. encouraging result for us. We are uh, about to launch that solidarity token. And I think that's something where the blockchain makes sense. If this right. is all in a smart contract, it is all programmed and it's all set in stone or rather in code. So ultimately, so your core infrastructure to, to generate electricity for good reasons, blockchain just doesn't fit with that. But ultimately, from a giving perspective, you're able to use tokens and smart contracts as a way of providing extremely transparent donations and, as you said, more cost-effective donations than probably other ways. Yeah, that is something which our uh, solar boxes can handle in terms mm. of computations, it, 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 can, it can answer to a smart contract logic. That is, that is yeah. possible. Because essentially, you're talking about a top-up really here. I mean, I'm thinking about a mobile phone kind of language, but you know, right. you're, yeah. you're, you're remotely topping up somebody's electricity balance, their, their soul box balance. That's exactly right. Yeah. And mm. it could be a school or whatever. I mean, you know, we have also heard now recently from a couple of, uh, of, of donor or, or DFIs mm. who say, look, we would like to support these schools, but we only allowed to do it if 50% of the money also comes from the local government. But we found whenever right. we set the money in place, you know, the local government doesn't end up paying and then though our money is somewhere stranded and, and you know, the, the project is not happening. Never happens, yeah. contract, you have simultaneous execution and you have only execution if it is simultaneous. Again, zero degree of corruption.
And so let's talk also about kind of where SoulShare is today in terms of, you know, how this is, this is very real. I mean, this is, this is happening across uh, many communities in Bangladesh. Can you give us a few stats and figures in terms of where you are and, and where you're aiming to get to? One of our partners mm. is, for instance, Grameen Shakti, which has been founded by the Nobel laureate uh, Professor Mohamed Yunus. And they have single-handedly put 1.8 million solar home systems into the field in the past 20 years. So we're working with them and we receive considerable support from, from UNDESA to build 100 grids together with them this year only. 100 grids for us means about 30, 40 houses on average. So that's some three, 4,000 connections we are building uh, this year with them. We have, we have set up the first 10 grids with them. So we are more or less on, on, on schedule for that. And mm. part of this exercise this year, obviously, is also to see with these 100 grids, can this become 1,000 grids with Grameen or can this become 10,000 grids mm. with Grameen or is it, is it ending at 100 and, you know, we have to, we have to choose another path. That is, that is one of the key things for us. Uh, one of the mm. key issues for us is also, of course, to dive deep into our data. So the 30% of access, the 600,000 kilowatt hours over the whole time in our grids, mm. how much of these 30% can we make available to the people if we have a fixed right. price, if we change to a dynamic pricing model, which obviously mm -hmm. makes a lot more sense than at 3 p.m. you have a different price than at 3 a.m., given that it's all solar power. How much more efficient becomes the allocation? So how much more of the 30% can we tap into? How much money are people making when they sell power? How much do they invest in additional battery panel capacity. These are all KPIs we are closely monitoring. We have very ambitious plans, but they also heavily depend on our performance right now. And there we're closely monitoring the data that we, that we receive from all those boxes out there. And your, your ambitious plan, I think, is best summarized as a million people by 2030. Is that correct? That's right. And how ambitious would you consider that now that you're several years into the journey? If you look at the growth path of our partner of Grameen Shakti, it took them about six, seven years to get maybe 5% of their, of their 1.85 million. And then they had this, this growth stage, which is kind of this, what we usually call a hockey stick. I would want us to see by the end of the year to clearly indicate that we are uh, on the hockey stick part, which is not hitting the ball, but which you are holding, if that makes sense, that metaphor, um, <laughs> on a strongly uh, increasing path. So I think it's possible. What are the reasons why you think you may struggle? I mean, what are the, the surprises that you've seen so far that might undermine your ability to roll out uh, in kind of the speed that you originally thought? The elections in Bangladesh have just taken place in December. And as usual, in the run-up to the elections, the government is going all in, in terms of promises on electrification. It's, it's, it's to be seen how this develops. So that has definitely been one. And then this trading peer-to-peer it, it sounds so simple, but the technology stack and the box is really, you said it's the heart of the system. Yeah, but I also would say it's the peak of the iceberg. And there's a lot lying under the surface, which is extremely complex. We could have installed a lot more, but we consciously refrained from doing so simply because we said, okay, let's get some more feedback from the field. Oh, this button should not be there. And oh, why is mm. this box behaving weirdly? There's something wrong in the firmware. Let's fix that first mm. before we take the next bigger batch. And 
have the next release version. But so essentially by end of 2019, 130-odd grids providing income, providing uh, the basis of financial inclusion, rural regeneration, and potentially even access to you know additional healthcare or remote healthcare, remote education, and so on and so forth. So changing lives in a, in a very significant way, simply by connecting households and, and access to electricity in a way that's just never been done before. That's right. So back to the original 3 million of wastage, as you said, if you can do the right data analysis and track it down well, you're well on the way to being able to make a significant impact on that. Really, thank you very much for explaining um, this as clearly as you have. And it's, it's uh, yeah, I think everyone is just can't wait to see how you get on with 130 grids and uh, reducing that $3 million of wastage as fast as possible. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Barney Nelson, and thanks for listening to this week's Good Start episode. Next week, there'll be another amazing story about how blockchain is being used for good, and so make sure to join us then. In the meantime, if you'd like to get involved, look us up on thevalueexchange.co slash goodstart or on LinkedIn or Facebook. Thanks, and see you next week.